COVID-19 moves fast, and now you can too. If you feel symptoms, even if they're mild, you should test fast. Test positive and at high risk for severe COVID-19? Then act fast with authorized oral treatments that can be taken at home and must be taken within five days from when symptoms begin. COVID-19 moves fast, and now you can too by asking your healthcare provider if an oral treatment is right for you. Learn about a treatment option at TreatCV19.com. This message is sponsored by Pfizer. Before we get into a clip of this week's episode, I gotta remind y'all that our first live recording of the Can't Do It Is podcast is going down October 6th in New York City. We're hosting this live event in partnership with Samsung at their Samsung 837 space. It's in the Meatpacking District in New York. Y'all are not gonna wanna miss this. 150 people have already RSVP'd and I've only done one Instagram post on it. We've got a DJ that's gonna be playing all your favorite records. We got sangria, food. Did I mention all of this is free? All you have to do is register on the Samsung events page. There's a link in the show notes that you can easily click to register. I'm going to see you there, right? All right, cool. Now let's get into a clip from this week's episode. There has been the persistent, again, tension of, you know, how am I supposed to show up here versus how I really feel (laughs) versus how I really, you know, am versus, you know, whatever. You know, like things, very simple things like driving into the parking lot of my company, you know, years ago and having my hip-hop music i'm i'm you know born and raised in new york i'm hip-hop all the way right like having my my hip-hop on full blast because i'm you know driving up to white plains to get to work and i'm blasting my music it's eight in the morning i get into the parking lot and i'm i lower it right because i'm like (laughs) you know i don't i don't know what they're you know what i don't want folks to think that i'm unprofessional or to think that i am something other than you know, smart and capable and polished and so on. And somehow blasting my hip hop music in the car wasn't that. Mi gente, dímelo, dímelo. What's good, my people? Welcome to another episode of the Quien Tu Eres podcast brought to you by Plural. As a quick reminder, this podcast is in the top 2% of all podcasts globally. And that's probably because so many people are on board with our mission of redefining professionalism. Every week, we have a new guest explore the conflict that they have experienced between professionalism and authenticity. Speaking of guests, the clip that you heard in the intro is with this week's guest, Esther Mireya Tejada. These days, she's the chief marketing officer at Anywhere Real Estate Incorporated. She was actually recruited to build the company's first enterprise-wide strategic marketing practice. Before Anywhere Real Estate Incorporated, she's had various executive level roles. And throughout her career, she's been recognized with various awards, whether it be campaigns she was working on or being featured on various publications as Women to Watch, PR Week 2019, Top Women in PR, Maverick of the Year, Communications Executive of the Year. The list goes on and on. Now that you know a little bit more about our guest, let's get into the episode. We start off the conversation with a simple question. What does the word authenticity mean to you? It means a lot of things, actually, you know, but I think um, at the core, it means or it should mean being able to be your full and true and complete self 
everywhere that you go, all of the time, everywhere that you exist. And I, and the, I think the key is the idea of complete because we have so many different parts of us that are all authentic and sometimes directly in opposition to each other, to themselves. And so it's finding a, a way to merge all of that and really be in synchronicity with yourself uh, as you go through life and as you, as you navigate through all of the different worlds that we navigate through on any given day. Yeah, that's that concept of like different parts of your identity being at conflict with each other is so fascinating. And actually, it's, it's the reason why I named the company plural or plural, right? Like plural, plural, it's the same word and it means the same thing in English, Spanish and Portuguese, right? More than one, right? But I've always thought, especially going into like corporate, I always thought I had to be the singular version of myself because these things that I saw, which are part of my identity, I saw it at conflict with professionalism. But then I was like, no, 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 like you can be more than one, hence like bringing all of them together. So I, again, I'm fascinated that that word conflict just stuck out to me. But for you, I'm wondering like, what parts of your identity did you see at conflict with each other? I mean, all of them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, just a, it's a part of existing, I think for everyone, but especially for women and people of color and, and Latinas and so on, there's. There are so many different versions of who you are supposed to be. And depending on the audience and where, where you are being at that moment, you know, they are in direct contradiction and you're constantly navigating, you know, what is the truth? What is the truth about me? What is the truth about who I am supposed to be and what I actually am? And I think, you know, part of the biggest challenge, I, 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 I know this is a concept that's out there and that when I first read it, I, it's so much stuck with me because there's a truth to the idea that the problem with stereotypes, right, is that it's not so much the stereotype, it's the fact that it robs you of the ability to have a multifaceted self, right, that there's more, there's more to everyone than what one stereotype could possibly ever convey and it sort of forces you into an identity that is not full is not it's not the complete story um you know and that is a challenge that i i don't think i have fully mastered i don't think i ever will i think it's 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 part of life's journey is moving through all of these different parts of who you are and the experiences lived experiences that you've had throughout your life and how you show up everywhere and getting to a place where you are able to find, like I said, that synchronicity or something as close to synchronicity as is possible in a lifetime. Um, I'm nowhere near there, by the way. So, you know, <laughs> I'm, not an, I'm not an expert, but it's something that I am super aware of and, um, and, and talk about and deal with a lot, you know, every single day, every single day. Yeah, I mean, the the idea of stereotypes and even shoulds, I agree, they're so powerful, because to your point, it kind of like puts us in a box around like, all right, if, if this is what I'm supposed to be, maybe I'll just lean into that. And I think, right. I think it starts really early too. like, yeah. even when we're growing up, there are certain expectations of maybe what you should be as a, as a Latina, as a woman, talk to me about growing up, like, what were some of those yeah. expectations you think were placed on you? You know, I think that's really funny because that's exactly funny in a sad way, because I think that's exactly what happens to a lot of people. Like you hear that you hear a stereotype and you figure, oh, 
maybe this is what I'm supposed to do. And so to tie that back to your, your question, I had a really interesting um, experience, right? I, I sort of not the usual experience. I grew up in Washington Heights in New York City to Dominican parents. My mom came here when she was a very small child. So my mom was for all intents and purposes raised in what was at that time Spanish Harlem and is now the Upper West Side, 109 in Columbus. Um, and my dad came here, you know, in his late 20s. So two already two very different things. My mom is super New York. My dad is super, you know, Caribbean Island. And, and here we are. So I grew up in Washington Heights. I attended a private school in Riverdale and I commuted every day between these two extremely different worlds that were really 20 minutes away from each other, you know, <laughs> and, and, and two really different universes. But even within my community of Washington Heights, there were differences, right? It's like, yeah, I am, I am Dominican American. However, um, unlike most of my peers or friends in, in where we lived and in my community and in my neighborhood, like both of my parents are college educated and had, you know, careers and their own businesses and so on. And were very much part of the fabric of the community for, for all of those reasons. And so I was kind of in the middle of these two really interesting worlds where I didn't really belong in either of them. Right. So, so, so when I am in Washington Heights and I'm with, um, in the community, like I'm not really living the experience of most of the other children that are around me, whose moms are working, you know, two to three jobs. And, you know, they're just trying to put food on the table and that's a story that is so very, very common in, in my community. That was just not my, my experience. But then when I would get on, you know, in, in my parents' car and they would drop me off at Riverdale every morning, I am now in a whole different universe where, you know, kids have chauffeurs that are dropping them off at school and, you know, things, things like that, that were, were also extremely different from, from, from my experience. So I was sort of in these two universes that were both in some ways not fully right you know, if, if that makes sense. But what I, what I, what I realized or what sort of started to happen is that I got the sense that, okay, well, because I'm this Dominican New Yorker from Washington Heights, like I'm supposed to be like this and I am supposed to wear Timberland boots and I am supposed to, you know, it's the nineties, right? So bear with me, right? I'm supposed <laughs> to wear Timberland boots and I'm supposed to wear like a puffy, Columbia jacket and I'm supposed to have red lipstick and I'm going to do that because that's what I think I'm supposed to be like and it was a total costume because it's not really what I what I liked and my parents were like what the hell is going on <laughs> so you <Here>. did <laughs> wait so but, you did wear the costume though oh for for a couple of years I mean because I didn't understand. I couldn't understand. I mean, I, and we're talking about youth, right? It was very hard to figure out where I belong. Like, am I part of this community? Am I part of that community? I don't seem to really fit in anywhere. I, I'm in Washington Heights and everyone thinks, you know, my family is rich because 
you know, we have our, a car and we have a nanny and da, 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 you know, whatever. And then I go to Riverdale and everyone thinks, you know, I must be like the poorest person in the universe because I'm Dominican and my, and I'm from Washington Heights. So where, where is the truth? And the reality is the truth was in the middle. The truth was a little bit of everything. The truth was yeah. a little bit of all of it, right? The truth is I did not have the experience that most of my um, uh, neighborhood um, friends and colleagues. And the truth is that I also didn't have the same experience that most of the students at my, at my school had. The truth is that I had a little bit of all of it, right? And so it took a long, long time for, um, for that conflict to resolve itself um, for me. And it does start really, really early. I mean, it starts, yeah. it starts for me, it started like becoming, I started to become aware of it. I think, I know in kindergarten, you know, when it, when it was, when it, when it was brought to the table for me. So what happened in kindergarten? It is an interesting concept. What happened to kindergarten? Well, kindergarten, you know, I had this experience in kindergarten that forever changed my life. And I say that fully, fully aware of how um, impactful that comment is, how, how deep that comment is. So I went to a private Catholic school in also in Riverdale for kindergarten for a few of my elementary school years. Oh, so and Riverdale started early. I thought this was like high school that you started going to Riverdale. No, no, I went to um, Catholic school in Riverdale mm. until middle in elementary school. And then I went to Riverdale country school in seventh grade. Got it. Okay. So I was, I was already, you know, I'm not, not, I was already at Riverdale before, well before high school. But for kindergarten, I was at this Catholic school that at the time was, it actually doesn't exist anymore, but at the time was like 99% um, white. And I was the only, no, that's a lie. There was me and there was this one other um, black girl. It was just her and I, the black and brown girl, right? Political terms that were in the, in the, in the kindergarten. And, you know, it was an older school and it had the little wood chairs and you know we had a uniform and they had the buckles and the kids sit you know cross legs and what all kinds of ways and so the chairs were significantly scratched because of the kids and the buckles on the shoes but one day we were in the classroom and my teacher who I will never forget sister Margaret Mary who's a nun and was our, also our teacher um said to me you are the one you know, that's scratching the chairs. I know that it's you who is scratching the chairs because you are a Puerto Rican and everybody knows that Puerto Ricans carry knives. And this is probably what your parents are telling you to do. So I'm five, right? And I'm telling you this because this has never left my mind. This has never left my mind. I had no idea what she was talking about. I didn't know what is a Puerto Rican. I didn't know if I was a Puerto Rican. I had no identity that was related to race or ethnicity at that point because I was five. And because my parents were doing this Herculean job of keeping me you know, just happy and sheltered, right? So I got in all this trouble for being a Puerto Rican and bringing knives to school and scratching the chairs. So I go home that day, I start crying. I tell my parents, you know, 
what happened? And I'm basically asking because I, I want confirmation. Like, am I a Puerto Rican? Am I a Puerto Rican? Because I need to know if I'm a Puerto Rican because I had so, somehow, you know, d- decided that a Puerto Rican is a bad person who does these terrible things that Sister Margaret Mary is telling me that I was doing. So as you can imagine, you know, a whole hoopla ensued and my parents went to the school and there was a whole thing and I ended up moving to another Catholic school the next year. Um, but that was the moment that, and I'm telling you, it was if I was five, that was the moment where I started to realize that there is something else outside of just who I am and what I am doing that contributes to what is expected of me positively or negatively, right? That's the, the first real time that I understood that something exists called race or ethnicity. I didn't have those words, but there's something that exists that makes me different in some way or another from a lot of other people. And, you know, the funny, the, the, the sad and crazy thing is I'm not even Puerto Rican. So it's yeah. like, <laughs> she, didn't, she didn't even have her facts straight. <laughs> But, but, you know, I, here I am, you know, 40 something years in, and I remember that moment, like it was five minutes ago. I mean, first of all, thank you for sharing that experience. And it's interesting because in your story, here, are, here you are living these two different worlds, if you will, right? Let's call one world in Watch the Heights, another one in Riverdale. And Watch the Heights, you reference, you know, you're living a bu- among a bunch of Dominicans and you put on a costume that you thought people wanted you to be like right but then I'm wondering in Riverdale what did that how did that moment influence your identity I'm sure you didn't go into Riverdale with that same costume because you probably had that association no, I, actually of like, I did I did because really? the, the, yeah because in the 90s that was what was hot in private school right like the whole prep school gangster thing was like yeah, hot. Yeah. Like, yeah there was actually a story written about it in in um in the New Yorker, uh, an expose at the time about this whole thing of prep school gangsters and like, and so on. So yeah, I did it. I, I did. I mean, I mean, I, my style has evolved and I eventually was like, this just feels weird. <laughs> um, but, but every, it, it was strange because it was a moment where, you know, imagine, and I'm going to date myself, but it was like Biggie Smalls, Wu-Tang Clan, like it was all this New York hip hop happening. We're in the center of it. I'm from Washington Heights. It's like everywhere. I'm commuting into Riverdale. All of the kids in the prep school are sort of into this too. They want to be part of this life or this community that they're just not a part of. It gives them some sort of cred. So there's, there's an exchange of, there is actually an exchange of stereotypes that are happening that no one is really aware of at that age. Um, and, and, um, and there's this desire to be part of something that you're not really part of in one, you know, on one hand or the other. Um, and so, you know, it had some, it, it, it was, it was a really strange time because it felt like everyone was trying to be like a hip hop kid, even if you weren't from Washington Heights, even if you weren't from, from the Bronx, it was cool it happened to be cool until it wasn't and that was sort of the 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 awakening for me it's like this is cool until it's not right until someone until someone who um you know who's who's here graduates and goes off to their ivy league education and goes on to become a banker at goldman 
and they don't have to worry about any any anything else. But all the all the 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 folks that are actually in these communities don't do that. Yeah. You know, they're not going to graduate out of this, and so it just wasn't. Um, it was um, just a really strange and sort of not full. It, it wasn't a very conscious moment, you know, yeah. and. And, and a lot of growing up is developing that kind of consciousness and understanding what are the real factors that are at play here? And why is it, and for me, it was this, you know, why is it that my story is so uncomfortable for others because I don't fit a stereotype and somehow the world wants me to fit a stereotype and that is what's causing the tension. The tension is actually not coming from me, is what I realized. The tension is actually coming from everything around me that is saying to me, well, you are a Latina, you are from Washington Heights, you are Dominican, you are supposed to be, you know, fourth generation college, you're supposed to be, um, you know, you know, a single teenage mom, you're supposed to be, you know, all the things that I'm supposed to be that the world is saying, this is what you are, your life is supposed to be like, and I was saying, this is nothing at all what my life is like, you know, and so I, I, that, I didn't start to really confront that until I realized um, that's not an internal situation. It's a problem with the world. It's a problem with society. It's actually not a problem with how I'm being raised or with my family or anything that I had formally attributed the tension to. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Um, yeah. And it's interesting when you, when you reference the like hip hop culture and like the, <laughs> the Catholic school gangsters. Um, you yeah. know, I, I was I was young, but at the time I was I was in middle school and I went to Catholic school my entire life. And during that time, you know, you referenced the music, but something that goes along with the music, especially in that time, was the baggy clothes era. So oh, yeah. although <laughs> it's so funny because although I had to wear a uniform, it was the baggiest khakis <laughs> that you have ever seen. Like, yeah, I had polo shirts, but as soon as the clock struck three o'clock, I had I untucked the polo and the polo shirt. And it was, was like, like down to your knees. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then I had I had the bomber jacket on top, so it kind of looked like a dress <laughs> with the polo shirt. And then I had the Tims on, and it wasn't just a construct. You couldn't wear the construction because you had to wear um like some schools you had to wear like black ones so it had like black yeah, and white yeah. a certain color it it was a thing and that like it was, like, a thing. It was, it was yeah. that that's a new york thing that i don't think that that was a new york like if you grew up in new york that was what was up at that time <laughs> yeah. um which also contributed to the a little bit of the internal chaos for me because it's like you're glorifying my neighborhood you've never been to my neighborhood you would never come to my neighborhood right you don't know anything about my neighborhood um but yet you're glorifying it because you're you 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 know you're listening to Mob Deep every day, like you know, on your on your luxury coach bus ride up to Riverdale Country School. Um and like a lot of people, like you, 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 you're trying to navigate what's the easiest way to get through this, right? What's the easiest way to get through this? And and and, and it was like, okay, this is the easiest way to get through it. Let me not even deal with all of these um all of the tensions that I feel brewing, let me not even deal with it. I just want to get through this and I want to be successful and I want to graduate and I want to go off to college and, and, and so on. But, you know, I was extremely active in high school and, you know, in terms of social activism and I staged, you know, speak out 
assemblies and, and whatever, because there was definitely this point in time for me where I was like, this is nuts. What this is all nuts. And I just am going to say that it's nuts because I believe in the truth and I love the truth. And I think the truth is the most valuable thing in, in a lot of situations. And it suddenly, you know, became the case that well, tell you know, my, my identity was then tied up with conflict. My identity at the school was tied up with, um, you know, this really progressive liberal point of view that was in conflict with the, what the school wanted the environment to pretend to be like, right? The, the whole kumbaya, you know, there are no issues here. This is a, this is a racial utopia when it was not, it was just not, there was, there was clear, there were clear issues. There was clear sort of disparity in treatment. There were Tell some me, things yeah. that were just nuts that were going on that, you know, we look at them now and it would be, you know, it would, it would be, it would be catastrophic, right? So I'll give you a very short example. The, when I was in high school, the buses for most of the kids were big Liberty lines. I don't know if those still exist, coach buses. They were full-blown luxury coach buses, you know, with the AC in it and the puffy, you know, um, fluffy seats and the whole nine yards. There were no ch yellow cheese buses going to Riverdale Country School, first of all. <laughs> um, but those buses only went, you know, down the Upper West Side, largely and down the Upper East Side and, and, and that's it. So if you were a student from the Bronx that actually lived in the Bronx or went to, or took the train to school, which was, you know, it ended up being almost just all of the students of color of which there were not that many, the school had a separate bus for, for you. And that was a regular old yellow school bus. So first of all, there's this visual discrepancy where 90% of the kids are getting on these, you know, ginormous luxury buses and you're getting on the one yellow school bus that goes to the train station or goes to the Bronx. But to make it worse, this Riverdale has this roundabout driveway and all the buses would come in through the driveway and line up there and all the kids would just find their bus and get on the bus. All the buses except the yellow school bus. So the yellow school bus did not actually enter onto the campus or go onto the driveway at all. It was up the street, down almost on the edge of the campus where Riverdale Country School merged with Manhattan College at the time. And there was a tree all the way down the street and you had to walk to that tree to wait for the yellow bus. Wow. Okay. How did, how did you feel at the time? Before getting into that, let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. Dancing crew, trip for two. Nail the final interview. Game with Doug. Brand new mug. Come here, kid. Give me a hug. The more you want to do, the more we want to do. Boosters designed for COVID-19 variants are now available. If you've had your primary series, schedule an updated COVID-19 booster appointment as soon as you're eligible. Sponsored by Pfizer and BioNTech. Intuetas is supported by First Republic Bank. First Republic believes long-term relationships are key to your financial health and well-being. That's why every client gets a personal banker to serve as their guide, confidant, and single point of contact. Ready to discover what a long-term financial relationship can do for you? Visit firstrepublic.com today to learn more. That's firstrepublic.com. Member FDIC, 
equal housing lender. I felt nothing at the time because you normalize this kind of stuff, right? You normalize all of this stuff. I felt nothing at the time about, you know, gathering my stuff with my friends and walking off the campus out of sight of the bus, you know, the bus turnaround and all walking down the campus to the end, you know, on the street and waiting by a tree separately for a completely different bus than everybody else. I felt nothing. And the fact that I felt nothing is part of what we're talking about, right? Like it takes time for the awareness, the ability to understand and unpack that tension to, to set in. Because even if you feel it, it's so deep down, it's so deep down that you can't really articulate or understand it until you get to that place in maturity that comes with time, that comes with experience to say, that was really nuts. Like that was a really crazy thing that was happening every day that we all did and we all felt like this is just the way it is. Um, but it sets you up to think, it sets you up subconsciously to believe that there just are different rules to understand really what how life works. There's different rules for everybody. And you know, it's, the world is not fair. And here are some real life examples of things that are not fair that you have to deal with today. And that's just the way that it is and find a way to figure it out. And that's sort of been the ethos of my life. It's not fair and find a way to figure it out. Yeah. And I think um, that's the case for a lot of us. I'm curious if this trend or this trend of experiences that you were facing around being different and being treated differently, did that continue when, when you entered corporate America? Well, you know, I think I was very lucky in that I had a mom who was in corporate America my whole life. My mom was a CMO at a health care company in New York. And she- That's amazing. Was, yeah. So she, she, my mom is so amazing. Like it's, she's, she is really like, a rock star. I love her. And I'm so proud of her. I didn't even know she was in marketing too. Like the fact that she was yeah. a CMO too. And yeah, now y'all can do ran, like, oh my, my mom set up and yeah, my mom set up and set up and ran a, a marketing, fun- the marketing function for um, a major New York health plan when I was growing up. And so I, I had a lot of privilege that a lot of folks in my community did not have. Right. And I, I, I know that. And that sort of is what created a lot of the tension because I knew that and everyone else knew that. Right. Like I'm going off to private school. My mom is getting up every day and getting in, in her own car and driving to her, you know, executive job. And my dad had his own business and, you know, we traveled on vacations and we went out of the country, not just to DR and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so I know that I had a lot of privileges that a lot of other people in my community did not have, but I also didn't have the same privileges a lot of people from my other life had. So it it was this odd um, tension of, you know, kind of being in between two things and, and not, and not really getting the full benefit of either, either side. So I had, so to your question, I had a lot of understanding of corporate America and business. I have a very entrepreneurial family, I grew up, you know, in the office, going to the office with my mom when she was in the health and healthcare, and also before uh, her and my uncle had were all involved in um, financial business and and money wiring and et cetera. So I grew up going to the office and like helping, being my mom's helper and like file these things here and 
find this receipt and get on the computer. You know, I'm like 10 years old and I'm like, you know, on the computer. So it was super normal to me that women are bosses, that women have careers, that women go to, that women go to work and that women, you know, do big things and have big jobs and tell people what to do, which was the most for me as a kid, like the biggest deal. I just, when I grow up, I want to be a boss of everyone. You know, that, that was my, that was my thing. If you ask me, what do you want to do when you grow up? I want to be the boss of everyone, whatever that means. (laughs) Um, so I came into my professional life with a little bit, uh, I think of a heads up and a leg up, I think than a lot of other, uh, of my, you know, peers in my community or, or other Latinas. And I'm very, very grateful for that, because I know that's um, in a lot of ways, especially at that time, the exception to, to the rule. And nonetheless, there have been challenges and stumbles across the way, right? Mm-hmm. There have been the, there has been the persistent, again, tension of, you know, how am I supposed to show up here versus how I really feel <laughs> versus how I really, you know, am versus, you know, whatever. You know, like things, very simple things like driving into the parking lot of my company, you know, years ago and having my hip hop music. I'm, I'm, you know, born and raised in New York. I'm hip hop all the way. Right. Like having my (laughs) my hip hop on full blast because I'm, you know, driving up to White Plains to get to work and I'm blasting my music. It's eight in the morning. I get into the parking lot and I'm I lower it. Right. Because I'm like, (laughs) you know, I don't I don't know what they're you know what I don't want folks to think that I'm unprofessional or to think that I am something other than, you know, smart and capable and polished and so on. And somehow blasting my hip hop music in the car wasn't that right. Mm -hmm. So you're always negotiating these elements of identity, but as I've gotten older and as my career has um, evolved, I've, I'm trying to get to a place where all of that is true at the same time. And it's an and strategy, not an or strategy, right? And it is a a very hard thing to do. I don't succeed at it every day, but I am so conscious and I'm so conscious of creating that exact, um, you know, uh, ability, that space for other people of color to be able to exist in their and. And I am this and that and that and that and that. And to be all of those ands at once, I think if when we get there, we'll be in the right place. And I do, I'm doing everything that I can to be that and also to create that for everyone that is that is around me, because that's real freedom. That's freedom. Yo, if you are the exception these days, like in 2022, like a CMO, yeah. imagine your mom. Oh, that is I mean, great. Like, does she tell I'm telling you? I, and, and it's. I mean, for me, it's interesting, right? Because you probably too young to even like have those type of conversations or like even know what she was going through at that time. But I'm wondering like now, do you say like, yo, mom, did did you experience this? Like as a Latina? Oh, she, she totally. Mobile? I mean, we've talked about, I mean, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and not only, not only as a Latina, but my mom has an accent. Mm-hmm. I don't know why she has an accent. That's for a whole other conversation. Like my mom came here when she was a, like five. I don't know why she has an accent. She's like really attached to this accent, you know, like she, it's part of her identity. She wants to have an accent, you know, cause she is, you know, it's important to her. So, you know, how, not just as a Latina, as a Latina with an accent, mm-hmm. um, 
how was that? And we, you know, we've had conversations and she shared some pretty outrageous things um, sure. that, that have, that have happened. And, and the, really the unfortunate part is that it's not that different, right? Despite it being so many decades after the fact, it's not that different. I mean, I think it's a little bit more sophisticated, a little bit more veiled, um, but it's not, it's really not all that different. It's not as different as it should be for all of the years and all of the things that we have been through as a people, as a society, as a culture, as a country, we shouldn't be dealing with a lot of the things that we're still struggling with. And it, that's the, the sad part. What were some of the similarities that you found in yeah. your experiences? Like when you mentioned things aren't that different, you know, I'm wondering if there were like common critiques or the shoulds of, of what like both of you should have been. Well, you know, I think the idea that it, it, it's either one thing or another, as a woman, you can't be too outspoken. You can't be too strong. You can't have too much of an opinion because you know, you are a woman executive as opposed to a man, a man, which what the hell does that have to do with anything, right? Right, I don't right. think that's changed all that much. Um, you know, also the concept that as a Latina, you are fiery and aggressive and, you know, in some ways scary. Um, that really hasn't changed either. And then there's the opposite of that, which is as a Latina, you were supposed to be so kind and sort of uh, warm and gentle and uh, passive. So you don't really know what side of the stereotype you're supposed to, <laughs> you're supposed to be you know, la landing on. But I don't think much of that has changed at its core. We are still, you know, all these decades later, we're still having some of these same conversations. We're still dealing with some of these same issues. These are the same types of things that are, you, you hear from others. You hear from peers and colleagues that are coming up in reviews and coming up in, you know, um, in performance reviews and so on. And it is surprising and at the same time maddening that uh, we have not been able to evolve. And that's not on us. I don't think that is, you know, an issue of Latinos or Black people or brown people or people of color in general. It's, it's, it's the folks that are in, in positions of power. And it's the way that this is all created systemically. And it is the idea that, um, you know, we are, we're existing in places that were not meant for us that were not designed for us to exist, let alone to succeed in. And there's general resistance to, 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 to changing what has worked for others for so long. There's a sense of, you know, I'm giving something up for you to have something. And that's really not the reality. You know, that's not the reality. You're not giving anything up for someone else to have something. There's plenty for everyone, number one. And number two, you need to create organizations and businesses that reflect the country, the world, the society, the communities that you are in. And it is just, you know, hello, look at the data, <laughs> look, look at the demographics. You know, there's so much richness that comes from diversity of thought and diversity of thought comes from diversity of lived experiences. And I, I do wish that we were further along. And that is why I work so hard in, and I'm so intentional in my recruiting, in my hiring, also, I try to be, you know, really, really real and direct and honest and transparent in all of my interactions with everyone, regardless of level and who you are and where you sit and so on, because 
the the lack of transparency and the lack of of honesty and the lack of kind of showing up as your full self as much as that is possible is what perpetuates um, these systems uh, and these beliefs and these parameters and borders that keep people in places that I, in some in some way are, are lesser than where they what they what they can be and what they can do and what their capacities are. Yeah. And it's a different game or a different opportunity for you in a executive level position compared to maybe when you were in high school in Riverdale, right? Oh, yeah. Like in Riverdale, you got certain obstacles and, you know, maybe you led a, a protest or a walkout or, or you did all these things, but it's a different level of risk that you're taking these days because, you, you right. know, you got a family, you got a, you got a lifestyle, you, you, it's impacting the bag, right? So. Yeah. I'm curious, like when you get some of this resistance or, you know, you get some of these names like spicy or too much to this or to that, do you feel the need to suppress parts of your identity? I'm no. just wondering like, how, oh, well, no. <laughs> how do you handle that? You know, I don't, and I never, I've never been good at that. So that's not my thing. Never has been my thing. Never will be my thing. <laughs> I, you know, it's so funny because even when I think that I'm trying to tone down I'm the only person that thinks I'm toned down. Like no one else thinks that I'm toned down. So even my understanding of what is toned down is like way off, right? So no, the answer is no. I, 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 I refuse. I um, I have worked really hard, Fabes. Right? I have worked really hard in my life. I know that um, I have been tremendously privileged. I have been tremendously blessed. I can only thank God and the universe for being born into my family, for having my parents, for having a leg up in the game that I know a lot of other people um, did not have. And I know that, and I did not take that for granted for a second of the day of my life. And I know that I would be doing myself and every other, you know, brown or black girl coming up in the ranks such a disservice by not using my seat at the table to create space. So the answer to that question is absolutely not. I have worked really hard and I have navigated through really complicated terrain my entire life. I have learned how to exist in every possible scenario that you can imagine, all the way from the wealthiest of private schools all the way down to you know the poorest of neighborhoods and everything in between i have figured out how to navigate through all of it i have put in the work i have you know kind of been by the book and i have created this career you know again with the help of community with the help of god and the universe and family and my mom and you know mentors and my uncle and all these people that have been instrumental in my growth and i will not i'm not at the place in my life where i will dim any of that to make it easy or to make myself more tolerable for someone else because I'm not thinking about me anymore I'm thinking about my, my three-year-old and other children that are going to come up in the next iteration of the world and I don't want to be sitting at my dinner table having the same conversations with my daughter in 20 years that I heard from my mom 25 years before that to me would be a, a, a just I have I have accomplished I would have accomplished nothing if 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 I if that is what 
the world is like for my kids. Um, and I know that's a big deal. And I know that that sometimes causes friction and tension. And I'm okay with that friction and that tension because I, like I said from the beginning, I we are all on a journey to land at authenticity. And authenticity for me is the and strategy. I am that and I am this and I am that and I'm a lot of things. So yeah, I am sassy, I am fiery, I am opinionated, I am passionate, I'm also kind, I'm also fair, I'm also thoughtful, I'm also genuine, and I can go on. And it all exists at the same time. And and that is what that is um that is what this is about. It's about finding the humanity in everyone and allowing everyone to be their full human self in all of the spaces where they exist. That's my goal. Mi gente, that wraps up this week's episode of the Kintuetas podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a favor, leave us a rating and a review. It just helps us in the algorithm to ensure that these stories get heard by as many people as possible. Scaling these stories and experiences is the only way that we're going to redefine professionalism. Thank you and see you next week.